Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Cal comes to town, 6.30 kickoff at Husky Stadium. Expect the temperatures to be in the mid to high 70s Saturday, which unlike last Saturday, which was just a disaster, especially in the first half, a lot of storm warnings kept a lot of people away. Talking to a UW official earlier today, expecting about the same ticket sales, right around 63,000 tickets distributed. I expect there to be more of a crowd with the good weather, but, uh, you know, 6.30 kickoff at Husky Stadium and Cal and Scott, we talked about this earlier, just when Cal comes to town or we go to Cal, strange things happen. What do you remember about a Cal game? What jumps out at you? Something strange other than the lightning game a couple of years ago. Well, a big thing was Chris Peterson's decision to put uh Jake Hayner in, a guy who had never once seen a snap in a in a football game at the collegiate level, putting him in with Washington leading. And he throws a pick six to Evan Weaver. And that guy was a Husky killer when he was playing against Washington. I think he went two and one against Washington, might have been three and oh against the Huskies. But, you know, Washington just has struggled against Cal for whatever reason. You know, they, they, they're a program with the same philosophy as Washington. They, they, their, their program has the same values and they have the same culture around their program that Washington does. And so, Honestly, there's not a lot different between these two programs if you talk about culture and, and coaching and that that kind of stuff. So, um, Cal has had Washington's numbers the past the past few years, but I I think uh, tonight's game is going to be a pretty good one. Uh, what what follows? Uh, what what stands out to you, Chris? Well, you mentioned the Lightning game, but I mean, how can you not forget that one, especially in the media when? I don't remember when the game finished, but what was it between like one thirty and two? And yeah. we were I think we stupid were there until stupid four, o'clock. Five, yeah, four or stupid, five in the morning. Stupid o'clock. Yeah. And 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 even tonight, I mean the game starts at six thirty. We usually account for seven hours from the start of the game, so I probably won't get back to my car until at least one thirty, maybe one to one thirty. So it's it's gonna be it's always a long day when it's a, a night game. Thankfully, it's not a 7.30 game. It's a 6.30 game, so small mercies, I guess, for that. But, yeah, there there definitely is some weird things. I mean, you even go back to the the game uh, at Cal when uh, Sark decided to go for it with God's play, and um, Jake Locker drove that, uh, that that big drive down the field, the huge play to, to Jermaine Kearse, uh, catching it on his shoe tops. And, um, 
and that was the start of a of, of a nice run to end that season. So, yeah, some definitely some weird finishes. Shoot, you can go all the way back to the 1991 season. You know, 30 years ago, the 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 one game that really really gave Washington fits in that championship year was was California, and they took and and California gave them all they could handle that year. Um, so yeah, Washington, the, the history and tradition behind Washington Cal is well established. I, I put a story out earlier in the week about the top, uh, kind of the last 10 games, uh, recaps the last 10 games between these two teams. And there's been some real barn burners. Yeah, a couple things that stand out just back in the day, you know, and, uh, nobody was at the Cal games, nobody. And they had the microphones hanging to pick up the crowd noise and they would kind of turn it up and run it through the speakers to make it seem like there was a lot more people there than there was and create some noise. Uh, I remember, is it Javid Best, Javid Best? I think he ran for 200 yards in the first half, and he just tore Washington up and looked like the defense didn't even want to play. Uh, Marshawn Lynch getting on the golf cart and driving all around. I'm surprised he didn't hit anybody. Um, God's play, you know, after Tyrone sucked the soul from the team and uh, didn't have any confidence. Sark, um, fourth and one, last play of the game. He's going for it, you know. He's just going for it because he wanted to instill the confidence in the guys. Unlike Tyrone, when was it the year before where they score on the last play of the game? It was Carl Bonnell to – who was the wide receiver? Marlon – do you remember who it was? Marlon Wood. Marlon Woods, yeah, and for some reason, you know, Tyrone's got to control everything, and instead of going for two while Cal's on his heels defensively, goes by for the extra point, and they lose in overtime, and then Cal Stadium, also the home of Tyrone's last game and the infamous stare down with Hugh Millen, but, you know, that's another story for another day, but there just always seems to have weird stuff happen with Cal, so, you know, looking forward to that game today, again, weather should be great, and, um, I think again, you know, when after the Montana game, we thought that the Michigan game, I thought the Michigan game would show what this team was. Was that what they were or is that what they did against Michigan, uh, you know, against Montana? So losing to Montana, losing to Michigan, and then, you know, beating a really bad Arkansas State team, Cal's going to be a little bit more of a test, you guys. Absolutely. I think we're going to see really what this team is made of this week because this is a team that has, they, they don't have as much talent as Washington, but they're well coached. They, they've got, um, some talent on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense is a little lacking, um, as compared to previous years, but they've got good coaching. They've got some talent on that team. You know, as far as, you know, beating a bad Arkansas State team, okay, you can say they're a bad team and they are. They're not a very good team, but, they have a lot more talent, pure raw talent than Montana did. And so if Washington just comes out and even plays remotely as well as they did against Arkansas State, Washington should blow Montana out of the water. And if that had happened, we'd be talking about a two and one program. You know, I was talking with someone last night or on Thursday night, sorry. And you know, they, we were talking about what the season would look like right now if Washington had blown out Montana, blown out Arkansas State, and had like a 7- to 10-point loss at Michigan on the road where they look competitive. And you'd be you'd be really excited about getting into conference play. But as it is right now, Washington's 1-2. and two. They lose to Montana and Michigan. Uh, didn't seem that into the game against Michigan, even though the final score wasn't ter- – I mean, wasn't completely out of hand. But, you know, Washington just – they need a win. They need to beat this Cal team. And Kim, like you said, they need to be three and two by the time they go into that bye week 
after games against Cal tonight and Oregon State next Saturday night. So um big couple of weeks for the Huskies before they head into the bye. Hey, Scott, real quick, um, you know, Chris Brown was a guy that, um, you know, did some damage. Washington recruited heavily. He's a big running back. Did you notice him in the depth chart at all for Cal? No. Didn't yeah. he graduate? He's, he's Chris Brooks now. Chris <laughs> he changed Brooks. his name. Oh, okay. See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize that you were actually offering a trick question there, Kim. That was yeah. good. good. Yeah. Guys, are it, hey, Chris, is there anybody on the Washington roster that would benefit from changing their last name? I don't know. The coaching we've, staff. Seen, we've seen some that have changed their names before. Obviously, uh, Haoli Jamora went to Haoli Kikaha. So that, that has happened before. Um, I, and I don't know the story why, uh, Chris Brown changed his name to Christopher Brooks. I'm sure he has an extremely good reason for I doing think John, so. But, John, but yeah. I think John Donovan should change his name to John Smith. Uh, it may be John Doe here pretty soon if things don't, <laughs> if things don't start to, to turn around. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. This game with Cal is very, very, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a situation where both teams really need this game to jump, kind of jumpstart their seasons because their seasons are kind of going along similar paths, yet they've, they've kind of gotten there in different ways. And their teams, even though they want to try to do similar things, and are kind of built similar ways. They really don't do the thing, the same things very well. Like, you know, California has shown that they can really run the ball. Washington hasn't shown that they can run the ball at all, uh, at least the way that they want to. And yet Washington has shown, at least in the last game, that they can really throw the ball downfield and they can actually set up the run via the pass, which is something that Cal can't do, even though they've got a three-year starter in, in Chase Garbers coming back. So, this is this has got a lot of intriguing storylines to it in terms of you know teams going in similar directions yet kind of getting there in different ways and but yet both of them really really need this game badly. Scott Chase Garber has it seemed how many has he been there eight years or nine years? No, four years. Okay, it just seems like he's been down there forever. Uh, five um, years, five years. Sorry about that. I guess this would be six years if you include last year, but yeah. Yeah, I asked Jackson Moore, who covers the team, by the way, did, did you listen to the interview with? Uh, I have not. Uh, nope. So uh, just real quick, off topic, but uh, uh, Jackson also covers Fresno State. You know, he's dealing with uh, Jake Hainer mania, Hainer mania down there. Mm-hmm. Were you aware that the mayor showed up on Monday and named it Jake Hainer Week? Nope, I was not. Jake Hainer Week in Fresno. So I sent a text to Jacob Eason, haven't heard back, that he may have won the job, but he never had a week named after him. So... Mm-hmm. But uh I feel and, very confident that Jake Hayner would never have been there would never have been a Jake Hayner week in Seattle. Yeah, I don't I think so. I feel pretty either. confident in saying yeah. that. Yeah, he had a week he had a week. Like he yeah. had a week. But I think in Fresno they might have a lot more weeks open to them. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just guessing though. I'm just guessing. Yeah, but I talked to Jackson about uh Chase Garbers, you know, is he peaked out or is he continuing to get better? But it sounds like he's playing pretty well. I'm not sure that he has the weapons, but uh, you know, Chase Garber could throw the ball. Yeah, he can. I mean, he's got some big receivers and he's got some uh, smaller guys who, who they like to use out of that slot spot. Nico Remigio, that guy is explosive, super explosive as a player. He, he had a uh, kick return for a touchdown last week. Um, then he's got Trayvon Clark, 6'4", 195 pounds. He's got Jeremiah, uh, Hunter, 6'2", 200 pounds. He's got, uh, Tommy, uh, Christakos, 6'4", 210. 
those are all some guys in the in the depth chart right now. They've got some big receivers that can get down the field, but they aren't as dynamic as the guys that we've seen in previous years. Now, uh, Clark is the guy who really is the kind of big play guy. I think he's averaging 22 yards a, a catch, and uh, he had a couple. Ca- uh, he has a couple touchdowns re- receiving. Um, you know, and he's one of the reasons that they almost beat TCU. But you know, overall, this group is not as deep as it's been in previous seasons. When you when you have guys like Deshaun Jackson out there running around doing their thing. Yeah, I just was going to say that. You know, it's interesting that Remigio was the guy that you know used to be the one that took the top off defenses early on for Cal. Now he's become more of their possession guy, more of the Terrell Bynum go to. You know, that's the guy that Garbers is going to try to look to first. And then Trevon Clark is the guy that, that kind of opens things up for them down the field. Also, don't forget about Jake Tonjes too. I, th- I, th- I like him a lot at tight end. Um, in terms of the ability to be a receiving target and to do some damage for Cal, he's very like Kate Otten and, and what Washington tries to do with, with Otten in their offense. He's kind of their tight end go-to guy, uh, in terms of down the field trying to catch the ball. Scott, how comfortable do you feel with those two corners on the wide receivers, Chase Garbers back there and just leaving him on an island with, you know, uh, McDuffie and Kyler Gordon and Bookie and just really shutting down the run? Well, you know, I, I, I'd like to see it. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that I saw from as good as I think Trent McDuffie is, he hasn't proven that he's a, he's able to cover some of those bigger receivers very well. He did against Stanford. They kind of exploited him a few times and things like that. I think this is a game for him to be on Jeremiah Hunter, who's 6'2", 200, and for Kyler Gordon to be on uh, Trayvon Clark, the 6'4", 195-pounder. If you if that's who you can lock up, and, and they don't get real imaginative with a lot of their, their route combinations and their tree and everything like that. So I think Washington's got a good chance to lock some of those guys down, but we'll have to see because they do get open. But I think it's more when you're running zone instead of man-to-man. Chris, last week uh, we did not see Dominique Hampton, and uh, I'm sure it has something to do with the absolutely brain fart at Michigan with the uh, personal foul penalty for taunting. You expect to see Dominique Hampton back there this week? Possibly, but there's so many other guys at safety that are playing in front of them. I mean, you've got you've got Julius Irvin who's making a great play for it. He caught the first interception against Arkansas State. Uh, Cameron Williams has really shown himself to be a real solid uh, piece back there. Now that he's 100% healthy, you've got Asa Turner back there. Alex Cook, who was a special teams player of the week last week for the punt block, he's obviously been a factor back there as well. So you've got all those guys, and then Cam Fabiculanen, who is working not just with with nickel uh, with Bookie Radley Hiles at the nickel, but can be back there as well if they run quarters or whatever type of coverage you want. To be honest, guys, you know, you talk about stopping the run with Cal, and I think that's that's something they absolutely have to do. I think, you know, maybe last year or the year before, you wouldn't have necessarily wanted to have Chase Garbers win the game for them because he's really good with his feet, too. So unless you spy him, you know, he might cause you some damage. But I almost think that as good as they're running the ball right now, you may want to, instead of putting that extra defensive lineman in, like instead of bringing uh, Fatui to Atele in and taking Bookie out, you know, last week was a, a, a breakout game for Carson Bruner. Why not bring Bruner in with Ulafoshio and Sermon and have more guys kind of being able to go sideline to sideline as well as fitting in the gaps 
and, and instead of having that extra down lineman. I'm, I'm kind of wondering what you guys think, think of that. I, I say stay with what you do best, and that nickel package has served him well over the years. I, I say stick with it, even against even against a, a run heavy team. I don't think you're going to see a run heavy team with Cal. I think you're going to see Jake, uh, excuse me, Chase Garbers try to throw the ball downfield. I, I anticipate them seeing a you know a real balanced offense. I would imagine that they're going to run the ball just as much as they're going to throw the ball unless they get behind, and then I think you're going to see him throw the ball more. Yeah, I do, and I I, agree. I I agree with Chris though. I I I think we're gonna get a heavy dose of run until Washington proves they can stop the run. They did it against Arkansas State last week, but Arkansas State isn't a running team; they're a throwing team. So you know, Washington was the last time they faced a team that liked to grind it out on the ground. They gave up 343 yards. So if I'm Cal, I'm running the ball until Washington proves they can stop my run. Yeah, and I and I don't disagree, Kim. I think that that obviously Chase Garbers will throw back and pass. I think that that Washington and and California offensively in terms of philosophy, I think are very similar. They want to run pro style. They want to be balanced. They want to try to keep the defenses off guard. But California has run the ball almost 180 yards a game to compared to 105 for Washington. California is going to establish their run. They're going to do it, and I agree with Scott. They're going to do it, and they're going to keep doing it, even if they don't necessarily have some success early because they know – if if they eventually get some run, that's going to open a lot of things up for Garbers. Yeah, and but the thing of it is too, the way I look at it, like stay with what you know. They've been pretty successful, you know, over the past few years on you know not giving up a lot of runs, running the nickel package. Well, I, okay, uh, but I then people will talk. That. People will talk to you about Stanford last year as being the reason why Bob Gregory came out in spring and said the number one thing they had to get accomplished was to be better in run defense. There's no other reason for him to say that, Kim, unless they felt like they were deficient in that area. Yeah. And I think a lot of fans would agree with that. Yeah, I also wanted to get back to Dominic Hampton a little bit. You know, we see that he didn't play um, uh, this past week. And last year with Richard Newton, we saw Richard Newton held out for some reason or another. Um, are you sensing that Jimmy Lake might have a little bit of a doghouse? Well, oh, for sure. Yeah, but but I mean, if you listen to what, Jimmy said on Monday, someone asked him about Dominique Hampton not playing, and he said, when you make, if you don't keep your poise and, and you break our trust, then you're going to sit until you earn our trust back. And that's the situation with Dominique Hampton right now. Could I think he will. I, and I think, you know, since, you know, Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake here, I think there's been some other guys that have kind of broken the trust too, you know, and we may not have seen it, you know, because they weren't guys that, uh, you know, they weren't the top guys on the team, but I think we've seen it before. Sure. Absolutely seen it before. We've even seen it in games. I remember back in 15 when Washington traveled to USC and won that game. Um, when Jake Browning was a true freshman going on the road and getting that, getting that really key win, you know, there were some, there were some, uh, penalties uh, against some of the guys that were blitzing, whether it was Littleton or Zim Victor, you know, some guys got pulled out of that game. Now I'm not saying that they got punished in future games because I don't believe they did, but you saw the reaction from Chris Peterson on the sideline directly. I'm pretty sure that death stare from Peterson was one of the first real times that Washington fans saw him live on the sideline, basically not putting up with any of that stuff yeah. and, and telling and basically with his eyes telling those guys, there's, there's absolutely no place for it. 
and you're going to go sit until we figure this thing out. So I think there was kind of a, a simulated version of a quote unquote doghouse, if you want. Um, I just don't think that Dominique Hampton's going to sit any longer than they, than they need to in terms of, um, in terms of like a disciplinary type thing. But Kim, again, I think it goes back to what I said originally. I just think there's a lot of guys in front of him. I'm trying to figure out an avenue where he gets in the game. And I think whether it's a, whether it's bringing in another inside linebacker like a Carson Bruner or a bigger safety like a Dominique Hampton, if they feel like he can go down into the box and really cause some problems that way, I think that could be a positive. If they think they spy a chink in the armor when it comes to Cal's offensive line, and I think Cal's offensive line has been pretty solid so far this year. Like I said, giving up, you know, they're going for almost 180 yards on the ground. Uh, about 440 yards total offense. Uh, they're scoring, you know, 30, over 30 points a game so that, you know, they're getting some points on the board. Um, I just wonder how they're going to kind of approach things to try to stop this run game because that, I think that's going to be first and foremost for Bob Gregory. He's going to want to stop that run. Scott, you've brought it up numerous times, you know, the ability to stop the run. They've had guys like Danny Shelton, Vita Vea, Greg Gaines last week, you know, last, um, a couple of years ago with uh, Levi Anwuzrike. Um they don't have that. I'm not seeing a guy on the offense, a defensive line that is an absolute lock to be an NFL draft pick at this point in time. I think there's some guys with potential, but um, is talent an issue along the defensive line? Do you see an NFL surefire guy along the defensive line? Uh, not a surefire guy right now, but I think Quo Pehapa. Uh, he definitely has that. He, he sure looks like a guy that could, could be pretty special on that D line. But, you know, Kim, you said it. Uh, I mean, Tuli, uh, Letula Gasanoa, Sam Taimani, Fatui Tuatele, and, um, uh, the other one. Um, anyway, there. Jacob Bandis? Yeah, Jacob Bandis. <laughs> the other yeah, one. Yeah. Sorry. I just was totally drawn a blank, but they, they don't. They, I, I've said it several times. There's not someone special up there. There are guys who can make plays, and I think the play that Fatui uh, Tuatele made last week on the quarterback way outside the tackle box, Carson Bruner should have had the sack. I think the quarterback's wishing that he had gone down with that, but instead Tuatele just blows him up, forces the fumble, and Braylon Trice goes the other way. What was it, 66 yards for a touchdown? And... You know, there's just no one special though that's going to eat up blocks, get penetration, and and cause problems. Tuli Letulikasanoa didn't even start last week, so uh, is he in the doghouse? I don't know. Yeah, I don't uh, think starting yeah, those I guys, they rotate him in. So yeah, but he he didn't start, and that's weird because usually when he's healthy or not in the doghouse, he's starting. So maybe he isn't healthy, 100% healthy. I mean, it's the same with. Um, it was the same with Adefuan Ulafosio, and he doesn't start, and Jimmy Lake says he's our starter. So, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. But, no, I don't think there's anyone special right now up front. I think they have the potential to be, but right now there's no one that's a difference maker that can really rake some havoc up front and cause problems for the running game. Scott, I mean, Chris, there has not been a lot of sacks this year, and that's something that this defense has been able to do over the past several years, but we're just not seeing it this year. You know, um, Jimmy Lake and Akaika Malloy, you know, they sing the praises of Braylon Trice. We haven't seen it yet. Uh, seems like teams are focusing 
on um, Shane, uh, on um, Ryan, Bowman, Bowman, Ryan, Ryan Bowman, Ryan Bowman quite a bit, and he's had a difficult time. He's had some holding penalties against him, but um, we're just not seeing the penetration. We're not seeing the pass rush. What's what are you seeing on that? Yeah, there's only been four sacks so far. Um, you know, one of them by a defensive lineman, which was to Atele. Um, Cooper McDonald has one as well. Uh, the other ones are Jacoby Covington had the one uh, and uh, Bookie Riley Hiles. Um, you know, you talk about Trice. Trice is the one that had the, I think it was 72 yard, um, fumble return against Arkansas State. So there is something to be in terms of being Johnny on the spot when a player like Tuatele can, uh, separate the ball from the quarterback and, and, and be right there to pick it up and, and score because that's, you know, all the defensive coaches will tell you their number one mandate on the defense is to score or get the ball back. That's exactly what they're talking about. They need to obviously create more turnovers. Um, you know, right now, California is the one, is the team that's on the positive side of the turnover battle. And that's, that was one of my big keys of the game is that Washington absolutely has to win that turnover battle. They have to, they have to be patient on offense. If they don't get a first down, just play field position. Don't try to push things because we've seen when, when Dylan Morris tries to push things, that can be a problem. They can, you know, especially if he tries to go downfield a little bit, we've seen him throw into double coverage. Um, we even saw it against Arkansas State. So um, sometimes he gets a little locked in on Kate Otten, for instance, or Terrell Bynum and and tries to find that, that go-to guy that he really likes. So, you know, getting the turnovers is big. Sacks, as you talked about, is going to be another uh, thing that they need to really, really focus on. Um, you know, <laughs> Kaika Malloy said a lot of really, really nice things about Braylon Trice. Uh, in fall camp and, and we're, we, we got to see that, that come to fruition. And if it wasn't for those holding penalties, Ryan Bowman probably have two or three sacks by now. So, uh, getting Zion to, uh, Tupolo Fatui can't come soon enough for these guys. And I suspect that he'll probably be available after the bye week. We did not see Hainer Mania up in, uh, the state of Washington. We didn't see, uh, Jake Hayner week up in Washington, but the closest we got to it is uh, McGrewmania. Fans are just all singing the praises of Sean McGrew. You know, you're just, uh, what do you think of all that, Chris? Just fans just, uh, and what's Sean McGrew? Well, it's interesting because Jimmy Lake said the reason Sean McGrew played, and as well as Kamari Pleasant, was because of what they showed on special teams, which allowed them to get some reps at, at running back. Uh, he, they're, they're gonna, the coaches are gonna, they're gonna die on that hill that you're gonna, you're gonna play if you practice like you really, really want to play. And I know fans just don't buy that, that idea that, that, um, that practice time is going to earn you playing time, but that's, that's the hill these guys die on. You know, they want to see guys practicing like they want to play and, and how they want to play and they want to see everyone be like Buddha Baker. I mean, I, I keep saying it time and time again. Buddha Baker is like the ultimate practice player because he practiced like he played. He stayed after. He did all those extra things. You know, we heard last week, um, guys, about how all those players. And I know, Scott, you noticed because you were there for one of the media sessions. and You had to wait a lot longer than normal for a couple guys to show up because they were there working with the jugs machine or they were there doing a lot of extra stuff after practice. These are the kinds of things that the coaches want to see in order for them to, to place their trust that the players are going to get the job done. Running the ball flat out, Sean McGrew is the one that has the best vision. He's shown it year after year after year. 
He's clearly not the biggest guy. He's, he's, he may not even be the fastest guy in that group anymore. But he is the guy that will rack up yards and yards because he can make people miss. And that's the key thing that Sean McGrew can do for you. And it is kind of funny because you get in those third and one, third and two situations. Who's the guy that usually moves the chain? It's the guy like Sean McGrew because the defense can't get necessarily get a handle on him. Whereas the bigger guys might get stopped because they're playing, they're, they're running more straight up. They're an easier target to tackle. And even though they may be bigger, they don't use that bulk to their advantage. Whereas a guy like Sean McGrew, he uses angles. He uses his vision. He uses his explosiveness. And he's been able to get the job done time and time again. So I understand why fans are shocked that the coaches won't use him. But again, they'll, they'll, they'll die on that ill. And if they don't show what they need to see in practice, they aren't going to play. Thankfully, Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant are starting to show it in practice, so I think we're going to see more and more of those guys as we go forward. And it's, just to and just to follow Scott, up on what Chris said, that, hey, just that, Scott, real, real quick before you go there, you were at all the fall camp practices, you were at all the spring ball. Did you see anything from Sean McGrew that would separate him from the other guys? Not in fall camp, but that's because they didn't give him a lot of practice time. I mean, he wasn't running with the with the ones very much. But yeah, they they specifically gave Richard Newton and Cameron Davis all sorts of carries in the fall. Yeah. Pleasant and McGrew were not focus were, were not the focus uh, of those of those turns at all. But but the thing is, I mean, just to echo what Chris said about Sean McGrew, I mean, he that jump cut that he made on his touchdown run, that was ridiculous. Yep. That was an absolute you and Richard Newton and Cam Davis. Now, Cam Davis might have that ability, but Richard Newton does not have that ability. Neither does Kamari Pleasant. And I don't know what JV on Sunday or or uh, uh, Caleb Berry have, or for that matter, Mecca Megwa, now that he's enrolled. I don't well, know what saw, it but Kit, or But, Scott, we saw, we saw JV on Sunday at the end of the game against Arkansas yeah. State do some things outside. But when he tried to cut back in, boy, it didn't look anything like Sean McGrew. No. He, he did, he was not cutting one footed. It was just kind of awkward because he was trying to stop his momentum and then go upfield. Mm-hmm. Didn't look at all like Sean McGrew. McGrew is just a, he's a smooth customer. And I think he, because he's smaller, I honestly do feel this, that, that the defenders just don't give him the benefit of the doubt. And then the next thing you know, they're, they're tackling air. Because he's already three feet over to the side. And, and see, all of this is presuming that the offensive line isn't getting pushed back into the backfield, which we've seen way too much of this year. Well, I've seen, you know, to be honest with you, they still want to run a lot of those counters. They still want to use a lot of pulling guards and tackles and do those kinds of things. And frankly, I just, I'm not seeing a real athletic offensive line that's pulling these, that can pull these things off. No, no pun intended. No, you know, I wasn't trying to use that in a, in a, in a cute way. I just think, you know, you see a lot of the pulling guards and tackles trying to fill holes and trying to find guys. Same thing with the tight ends. They're trying they, a lot of those. I think the tight end blocking this year has been substandard compared to last year, for instance. And I know it's only four games, but I know that Kate Otten and, and Jack Westover and, and Devin Cope and those guys, they showed much more in the blocking aspect of their position in 2020 than what they've shown so far this year. And I don't know if it's just a difference in how they're trying to be used in the scheme, but I see them come up with air more than it, more than, uh, you know, going up against a body and they, they're just going to have to continue to get better and better and better in that area. Because if you're right, if they don't, if they don't find a body that they can, that they can block and they can push around, 
they're they're going to get stuffed between the tackles, and it's already showing up the the first three games of the season. And Scott, you know, we've um, you know, you've heard me say the brick wall numerous times, and that's what there's been quite a bit. But you know, I talk when we talked to Jimmy Lake. You know, he's always told us, you know, that the quarterback goes up to the line of scrimmage with a run play and a pass play, and he can check into one or the other or check out of one or another. And I asked Jimmy, you know, how after the Michigan game, how Dylan has been doing so far with checking into the right play, and he said about 50%. And that just seems really, really low, you know. And if you've got nine guys up in the box, you've got to get out of those plays. And if you've got the open passing lanes, you know, just what are you seeing from upstairs, you know, with him, you know, checking in and out of the right well, plays? I, I don't know when he's checking in, to, in and out of the right right plays because I'm not – I don't know the calls. But, I mean, it's pretty obvious that there's been a couple times when Washington has had an opportunity to – um, make plays and if, if Dylan had maybe called the right play or whatever or changed them into something, they might have gotten points out of it. So, um, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I know what, what they could be doing better or whatever, but I mean, there, it's pretty obvious that Washington has had the opportunity to make some plays and just hasn't gotten into the right plays because of the things that, you know, maybe the, maybe Dylan Morris has fooled. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's a growing process. You know, not all quarterbacks have this right away and sometimes it takes a while and it's, it all comes through experience. It doesn't come from just studying things in a classroom and never doing it. You gotta, you gotta do the film study, but then you also gotta do, do it on the field and see it on the field in real time. And this is the first time Dylan's seeing a lot of this stuff. I mean, this is, this is going to be his eighth start. So. I guess the the right question is sitting up high like you are, you know, watching the games. Can you tell what's coming? I mean, is the offense predictable? Have you been able to know? Every this? now and then, every now and then, yes, I can. But I've also seen the, the team a lot more than Cal or any of these other teams have. So, mm-hmm. you know, I yeah, there's times when you're just like, it's pretty obvious what they're going to try and do here. Yeah, but I think there's it, other. Go ahead, Chris. Well, Scott, I was going to say just real quick. I think there's, you know, without knowing what they're going to get in and out of, obviously, because we're up there and we're not, we don't have headphones on to the, to the booth. Bottom line is, is that when you're on schedule, it's so much more, it's so much easier to go in and out of things when, when, when you're on schedule and you know exactly what you're doing, you know exactly what you're looking for and defenses have to defend you accordingly. Now, if you're behind schedule, if you're constantly in third and six or longer, you're giving the defense license to be as creative as they want to be, to be as exotic as they want to be, to try to get after you. That's what we saw with Montana. We saw it a little bit with Michigan. They can, they can, you know, take guys out of the box. They can come from the edges. They can blitz different guys. They can do a lot of things to you. And that will just, that screws up any attempt at a quarterback to try to predict or plan ahead in terms of what they see, what their shifts and their motions are going to try to tell them about what defense they're in, if they're in man or zone or what kind of concepts that they're in. Uh, Kim, a lot of that will be told whether or not you're in a third and short situation, a second and medium situation. Those types of situations are the things that tell me whether or not Dylan Morris is going to be in an advantageous position to check in and out right. of plays that they want to be successful in. Right. And also, uh, Scott, with the offense being 
so much more dynamic last week against Arkansas State. I know the opponent has something to do with that, but also the return of Jalen McMillan, you know, Terrell Bynum, and fingers crossed we may see Romu Dunsey this week. We will see, but how much of a difference did it make having Terrell Bynum and Jalen McMillan out there? Oh, yeah, absolutely it did. And if they get Romo Dunsey back, which there's some rumors flying around there that he might be back too, if Washington can get those three going and uh, Jalen McMillan can stay healthy and, and continue his progress, Washington's offense, I think I think John Donovan is going to be a lot more willing to throw some passes down the field and try and stretch it than he was maybe in the first few games where they didn't have that. So, um yeah, I, I think those guys being in definitely helped things last week, and and it feeds off to the the overall offense. I mean, Jimmy Lake said it on Monday that you know we we have those guys to stretch the field. You hit a couple big plays, and then all of a sudden we're handing the ball off to a 220 pound running back, and and he's able to get some space and and get some ahead of steam going. And and you know it all kind of feeds off of each other. You can say that the pass sets up the run or the run sets up the pass, but they really feed off of each other. And however, wh- whatever a team is trying to do to take it away, you've got to be able to do the other thing to set up the other one. Chris, for a dollar, well, I'll bet you a dollar. Who has the most receptions for the game today? We'll, we'll do it for a dollar. Uh, Kate Auden. That's what I was going to say. Well, but the, but here, going back to McMillan. <laughs> okay, I'll take right? McMillan. Going back to McMillan really quick, he was the difference in the game for obvious reasons, and not just his production, but the fact that they were able to execute offensively goes to what Scott said in terms of balance. You you will you will not have any balance at all, or be able to have a semblance of balance, and and try to keep defenses honest if you can't execute those plays. And by by able by being able to execute deep. That opened up the entire field, and when you open up the entire field, you open up the entire playbook. That's just how it goes. I mean, it's just you've got everything open to you now because they have to, they have to respect everything you do. It's just that simple. And by Jalen McMillan executing at a high level right from the jump, I mean the very first play that was targeted to him, and then on top of that, you get that opened up. Now you got the underneath stuff. you got the runs that can be opened up. Space is opened up. The whole thing feeds off itself. That's why Jalen McMillan was so important, but it comes down to execution. It doesn't matter if it's McMillan. It could have been Terrell Bynum. It could have been Taj Davis. It could have been Sawyer Racanelli. It could have been uh, Jabez tonight. It could, it could have been all those guys. It doesn't matter. You've got to have a guy that can step up and make a play when you need it. And the fact that Jalen McMillan made that play on the second series of the game against Arkansas State changed the whole tenor of that game. That's why, if I remember correctly, Scott, you can correct me, but I think that was the play of the game in your in your post, uh, post-game analysis. Yes, it was. It definitely yeah. was. And, and it kind of set the tone because Arkansas State was like, holy crap, what happened? Yeah. What do we do now? And, and, they, and it's not like Washington can't do that against Cal. Now, you know, Cal, Cal is set up much in the same way Washington is in terms of their, their, their defense is really heavy in the back and, and talented in the back. And then you move a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage and it's not quite as talented or, or a little thinner as you go, as you move up. Well, you know, Washington's obviously, obviously the same way, but, but Cal, you have to stretch them. You have to try to be able to get over the top. And obviously you want to execute it to the point where you're successful all the time and you're able to complete those deep passes. And, and huge credit to Dylan Morris. I mean, this was the hole in his game. 
Yeah. People didn't think he could throw the ball downfield. And I think there was a lot of people out there that didn't think he could throw downfield because he didn't have a strong enough arm. Dylan's he's always strong arm. He's yeah. always had a really strong arm. If anything, he just couldn't gauge it. It's like he knew he had he knew he had it. He just couldn't dial it in to get the thing in sync with the receivers going down the field. So it was either right. underthrown or overthrown. Yep. He just couldn't get it on time. Every ball he threw down the field against Arkansas State felt like it was right on time. And quick, right word, quick word with our sponsors, and when we return, we'll touch bases with Scott on what's going on recruiting. I know he's been out to some high school games here recently, and yesterday, George Klyovkov met with the media. He's been in town all week meeting with Jimmy Lake, Mike Hopkins. I know when we were um, there yesterday, he had a ton of student-athletes he was dealing with, um, so a lot of interesting stuff from George Klyovkov. We'll go over that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back. I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Cal, Washington, 6.30 kickoff at Husky Stadium uh, today. I'm warning you right up front, concession lines will be long, beer lines will be long, every line will be long. Staffing is a huge issue, not only for the University of Washington, but it's a big issue for the Seahawks as well. And uh, just, you know, some conversations with Jen Cohen. She was talking to some other athletic directors throughout the league on seeing if they had any suggestions. And they were asking her, it sounds like everybody's dealing with the same thing, not being able to get the proper staff in the stadium. So expect long lines, eat before you go in, grab the beer before you sit down because the lines will be long. But, Scott, you had a chance to get out to some high school football games. You not only get to see guys up close and personally, but uh, you talk to a lot of people. Can you update us a little bit? on what's jumped out at you in the last day or so? Uh, well, definitely on Thursday night, saw two really good games down at, well, I shouldn't say really good games. They were kind of blowouts, but, but, uh, there were, there were a lot of recruits on, on, uh, the field for all four teams. And, um, you know, Washington's, uh, one of their commits, Vega Ijuane, he's an offensive lineman at Graham Kapowson. He, uh, was on the, on the offensive line and defensive line for the Eagles and he faced off against Oregon commit Dave Iuli from Puyallup who also played on offense and defense, although not as much as Vega did. And, uh, they didn't actually go toe to toe very often, if at all, because when, when each of them was on defense, they played inside, but when they were on offense, each played left tackle. So you didn't really see a lot of matchups between those two guys t- hitting each other, but uh, a lot of it. I'll tell you what, I was very surprised at how good Vega Ijuane, uh looked. He was probably about 350, 
when I saw him during the COVID lockdown last year, and he is not that anymore. He told Brandon Huffman he's about 315. He's lost a lot of weight. He's lost about 35 pounds. And from what I heard, the Hill brothers, uh, there's, there's two brothers down there who are the Hills and they are, they just kind of get after guys and they're, they're committed to, um, Idaho state that they're, they're not, uh, high end guys, but they're just the engine, the engine that makes that thing go both offensively and defensively. And apparently when, uh, up until his junior year, um, when he would go in for workouts with the team, the Hill brothers would already be two or three sets in. Well, now, I guess this last offseason and, and this year so far, he's the one waiting for the Hill brothers to get in so that they can all lift together. And and he's really kind of taken to that. Um, he's focused on things. He was really getting after guys in the running game, blocking down the field, getting to the second level, didn't allow any pressures really off of the edge. It was an it was an unbelievable performance by him. And then Dave Iuli on his side this is not because he's an Oregon guy. I wanted Washington to recruit Dave Iuli, but they just didn't have enough room. He just didn't look like he was in shape. I think Oregon can get him in shape, and I think he'll do really well there. But uh, as far as la- uh, you know, Thursday night is concerned, that was that was a dominant performance by Vega Ijuane. And I'm not saying he's going to be a four star, but trust me, some people were there who can make him a four star, and their eyes were open a little bit. Hey Scott, with with Ijuane, does he project more as like a Maybe a right tackle at the next level, or is he an interior guy? I think he could play right tackle, but I think he's probably a better fit inside, kind of like a Henry Bainavalu, because, um, you know, Henry Bainavalu has the size to play tackle, but he's just a better fit inside, and I think that's where Vega probably fits better because he's really aggressive. He likes to pull. He's got, you know, light feet. But I think he could play some right tackle. I just don't think he's a left tackle at the next level. Scott, I know some people just, they just think that Washington can take as many guys as they want, you know, but it doesn't work like that. The number were, first of all, how many are they going to take in this class? They've already taken two offensive linemen in Parker Brailsford, who was up for the Arkansas State game, and Vega Iwani. So they've taken two. How many more offensive linemen are they taking? And they're only taking 15. Why are they only taking 15, Scott? They can take more. They can take everybody. Because they can only have 85 men on the roster. I know that the NCAA is getting ready to pass a thing where you can sign up to 32 in a class now. Is that what I saw uh, just the other day? And But if you're up against the, the numbers, they're, they're not increasing the amount of scholarship guys you can have on the roster. You can only have 85. And that's where that's where Washington is really kind of pushing the limit. I think they're going to stick at 15 unless some guys that they don't think are going to leave end up leaving. I think you could see up to 17 in the class, but 15 is the number they're working on right now. And and uh, they're real realistically they're full along the offensive line, but they're going to take a guy like Josh Connerly no matter what. But you know, as far as the offensive line, they're not really recruiting anybody else. The Keith Olson, the kid from Napavine who's committed to USC, was at Washington's game against Arkansas State last week. I expect him to be here today or maybe um, at the UCLA game, the next home game after that. But, um, you know, he's going to – he's definitely showing some interest in Washington, and they've been slowly talking to him and picking up interest in him. But I think unless somebody uh, transfers that they're not expecting or uh, somebody decides – to um, leave that they don't expect to or has to retire. 
Um, the two guys that they're expecting to leave are Jackson Kirkland and, and, uh, and, uh, Wattenberg. And, you know, Wattenberg can't come back. Jackson Kirkland actually could. I don't think he will. So those are the only two guys that are leaving that you know are probably gone. So, you know, it, you can only have a certain amount of guys on the roster. And, and the only reason they'd take Connerly is because he's just that good. Yeah. And you can't over, compensate on the roster because if you're going to have too many offensive linemen included in that 85 you're taking away from another position that you're going to leave short mm-hmm. but Scott the, the other interesting thing too is you know when you're talking about 15 you know and they're anticipating some attrition to get them to 15 but the number you've got to work with which is more important now is that 85 maximum on scholarship and there may be some guys, you know, the second recruiting season, the transfer portal, because this is still in its infancy. And you might want to leave some spots open to bring a couple of transfer guys in. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, you got it. Because if you take them, things open. Would yeah. you rather take, you know, if let's say they're going to take 15 guys, right? Mm-hmm. Would you rather take a 16th guy or keep that scholarship for a transfer guy? I know it depends on the guy. Yeah, gotta, it really you've does. You've got to think like that. Yeah, but that's how they have, they, their roster management is much more important at the collegiate level than it is at the NFL level. And I know that sounds weird, but when in the NFL, you can go out and pick up a free agent if you need to. If you really need to fill a hole, you can go out and find somebody, but in college, you can't. And, you know, you're set with your, with your roster. Oh, unless you're U- Utah who loses a guy after three, after starting for three games. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, that's just, that's so ter- terrible. I mean, they should, they should really try and figure out a way to get their scholarship money back, but that's a different story. Anyway, I, I just, yeah, I mean, you, would you rather have a four star out of high school who probably won't play, or would you rather have a four star who played for a couple seasons in college, who like comes in with some experience? Yeah but is looking for a different opportunity or maybe uh, there was a coaching change and he just didn't want to be part of that new staff or whatever it was, you know, you, you've got to look at some of those things. So yeah, roster management is definitely getting a lot harder in college football. Hey, Chris, yesterday I had a chance to uh, meet with other media members and meet up with George Klyovkov, the new commissioner of the PAC 12. Um, really refreshing to talk to him. Uh, you know, I, I'd say if, if, Somebody asked me what it was like to talk to Larry in one of those, Larry Scott in one of those atmospheres. Uh, he was pompous. He was smug. Um, he was condescending. He was arrogant and he never said a damn thing. Uh, you know, well, he would pat himself on the back a lot. That's why I called himself back pat Larry because he would always tell you how awesome he was. But, uh, you had a chance to listen to the, the, uh, audio with, uh, Klyovkov. What were your impressions? Well, yeah, hopefully people got a chance to see the story that we put out this morning that, uh, that let people know a little bit more about that, that meeting between, uh, Klyavkov and the media, uh, at UW. And, and it's been good that he's been here the whole week to kind of get a chance to really talk to everyone in the athletic department, get a great feel for how things are. Because I, I don't think a lot of people know that Klyavkov, the, the one school in the Pac-12 that he actually was a season ticket holder to, for football and basketball is the University of Washington because he lived here in Seattle for 10 years in the 90s and the early 2000s when he worked for Real Networks. So, um, you know, he's got a definite history with Seattle and UW and it shows. And, and, um, I think ultimately he had some real candid answers about, um, you know, kind of the future of the game with football, with, with 
with the playoff and and how he felt pretty strongly that the that the that the committee made a real mistake in kind of leaking that 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 stuff out about the the playoff happening without getting a lot of consultation from the entire group instead of just like a third of the group for instance um he was real candid in his answer about um, where the Pac-12 headquarters is going to be because it, it can't go anywhere for the next couple of years because of the lease that Larry Scott negotiated for for downtown San Francisco and in a zip code that Klyovkov said is 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 arguably the most expensive in the country and he and he talked about how going forward no matter where the headquarters was going to be located in the Pac-12 footprint it would be in a situation where the majority of that money would be going back to the schools to help the, the schools and the student athletes out where it should have been in the first place. And, uh, and he also addressed, you know, obviously the upcoming contract with the media rights and the, the, the negotiations and, you know, how, how things like streaming will fit in and, and, and companies like Amazon and Apple and Google and some of these, these other companies that are starting to try to, to wedge into the media footprint instead of just the, the traditional holders like ESPN and, Fox Sports and and some of these uh, older networks. So I thought overall it was a really really good conversation. I hope I hope people get a chance to listen uh, pregame to what he had to say and and read uh, read some of the quotes that were in our story. Yeah, I I thought the one comment that he made that you know some of the old timers heads may explode but or just not even understand. But uh, he talked about his kids haven't watched uh, you know regular TV in two years. Everything's streamed on their phone or iPad or laptop. Yeah. And, and how, you know, actually how it's going to, it could end up turning out to be a, a real big positive that the, the Pac-12 networks owns it, all of its media rights right now. But yet he fully admitted that yes, it, it, it could work to our advantage, but overall we're still going to have to take stock in whether or not it balances out all the damage that it did by, by not being able to distribute as well as they could have early on. <clears throat> uh, and Chris, real quick, he uh, did you, direct TV, direct TV, he, anybody? He used the word damage that was done. I mean, you know, he there was, was critical of that deal. Done. There was a lot of damage done, and everyone knows it, and everyone fully admits it, except for one guy on the planet, and his nick or his uh, initials are LS. Yeah, yeah, but he he admitted, you know, the damage that 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 had done. So I found that refreshing that he wasn't hesitate hesitating in the least, you know, to criticize that deal where instead of being politically correct. And that's when, you know, it became obvious to me that, you know, you know, he's a little bit more of a straight shooter than we've become accustomed to. So um, well, not, not, I don't, I don't even, as much as he is a straighter shooter than Larry Scott, I just think he has, a, a, he has a much more grounded reality in what the footprint is all about and what the PAC 12 is all about. And, you know, for instance, I mean, you, you asked him about Las Vegas and how that could potentially play into things, whether it could be the headquarters or how important it's going to be moving forward. And, you know, he was on the other end of the M- MGM rights deal when they, um, secured that, uh, that spot for the, for the, um, basketball tournament for years to come. He was on the MGM side of that thing. So he's understood these things for a long time. You know, you asked him about the streaming stuff and, and he has been a part of streaming platforms. You know, since his time at Re- at Real Networks, and that started in 1995. So this guy has a breadth of knowledge and understanding of the landscape in a way that Larry Scott never did, ever, not one time. 
This guy already hit the ground running and knows so much more about what he's working with than Larry Scott ever did. And that's really damning, obviously, for Larry Scott. Now, I'm not saying anything that people don't already know. we got to wrap this up, Chris. Just uh, last-minute comments. Make it short. Again, I think we've set it up. The main storyline is we've got two teams going in the same direction, but they've kind of gotten there in little different ways. And now we really get to see who is committed to their path going forward. We've seen Cal want to establish the run. They use an experienced quarterback to move their offense. They seem to be getting it done a little bit. But that defense with Peter Sermon running things, the old Washington assistant, it's just not that great right now, and they're struggling on defense. And it's going to be up to Washington to really take advantage of that, starting with the run. And could we see Sean McGrew being that guy again? I think there's a very good chance that Sean McGrew could end up being the leading rusher tonight. Scott, quickly, as you're running out the door. Uh, you know, I I would say that, you know, the, Chris summed a lot of it up really well. I, I I'm – I'm excited to see the progress that this team makes. Are they going to come out and throw the ball around a little bit more like they did to start the game against Arkansas State? They need to get out to a fast start. They need to get the fans into this, into this game tonight. And I think Washington's going to come out on top, but it is going to be a dogfight. I picked 27, 24 Washington and it's my favorite football score because there's enough to give you enough defense and enough offense to keep you excited both ways. Just keep it tuned in here at dogman.com. There's just always a lot going on, and basketball is coming up just around the corner. So just keep it tuned in to dogman.com. So for all of us, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. <laughs>